Hello, hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of Skeptics and Seekers Sunday Sermon. This is 4S. I'm David Johnson. Let's get started with Clint Haycock. How you doing, Clint? I'm doing really good. I'm glad to be back, David. Looking yeah, forward to this chat. It's been a while. It doesn't even feel, yeah. you know, this is this is kind of a weird thing because, uh, you know, I have, uh, you know, rotating co-hosts in and out. It doesn't feel like a a 4s anymore if if you're not here it just it, just, it all feels like a church. supplemental no you can't no this is this is um i don't know you have become uh this the staple that makes this show what it is oh good yeah but so. i would say in my sort of defense maybe um when i was an evangelical i mean preaching was my bag i mean i studied it for my phd i was passionate about teaching other people how to preach so for me, there's always a special little part of me that still loves to break down sermons from a critical thinking point of view. So this is right up my alley. So I, I really enjoy doing this, by the way. Well, I'm I'm so glad because you're you're better at it than I am, <laughs> and uh, I'm just I'm lucky to have you on the other side of the mic. I appreciate it. Uh, so the reason we have time for all of this introductory folder all is because uh, the sermon is not really a sermon; it's a conversation between two Christians. One of them is a very um, popular Christian. I see him all the time. I don't know his name. Uh, so maybe someone can mention uh, his uh, his name in the comments. Skepticsandseekers.squarespace.com. If you just want to shoot me an email, skepticsandseekers at gmail.com. And uh, usually when I say skepticsandseekers.squarespace.com, I will often follow it with log into your Discuss account and Discuss away because we use Discuss in the comments. So we will get to that, I promise. It's about 14 minutes long. Surprisingly, I have a lot to say about it. Uh, and I'm going to try to do something a little bit new today. Um, so you may not recognize me. I'm going to put on my uh, positive secularity hat. So, is there such a thing? I mean, there's, there's going to be invented it. I think <laughs> if there so, is one, there is one now. Uh, here's, here's the thing that I that I recognize. Uh, skeptical skepticism is easy. Yes. Uh, in fact, for me, it is it is kind of the default. You know, anytime someone says something that seems a little bit outlandish, even if it's someone that I know and like and trust. I'm going to be skeptical about it. <laughs> so mm. it's it's kind of a default for me. And also, uh, I have encountered so many grifters uh, in my career as a salesman. Uh, let me just tell you, you don't know who you can trust and who you can't. You don't know who's selling you a line and uh, mm. who isn't. You know, that's why con artists are called artists. They're really <laughs> good at it. And so um, having spent a lot of my time in uh, in in that profession skepticism you can't come out of that profession and not be skeptical mm -hmm. uh, because you you get a look behind the curtain and you see how it's done skepticism is easy for me even natural for me and i am not trying i'm not doing this show to do the easy and natural thing mm -hmm. uh, because what i ultimately want to do is uncover true things not simply call bullshit on bullshit things now that's yeah. an important part of skepticism that that's a very important part you can't ridi ridicule the ridiculous if you don't have a sense of what is ridiculous mm -hmm. <laughs> so um but you also need to know what is good what is 
uh, positive and fruitful. And so I want to uh, make an effort, more of an effort, to provide good options when mm-hmm. I when I tear something down, so that I'm not just tearing something down, so that I'm also building something up. And in the same way, when I look at the Bible, uh, look, everyone knows, I think the Bible is hot garbage. I don't even think it's particularly good literature, but it is literature. It is important literature. And I think that if you read literature in a certain way, uh, there is a place for eisegesis. I'm willing to take some arrows for Mm. this. I don't have time to uh, go over it all today. There's a place for eisegesis. And I I think this is really what happens in uh, literary criticism, um, you because you're you're reading, you know, some kind of cryptic things that someone wrote a long time ago, who's long dead and was probably on shrooms. Hmm. It it is very hard to get into their mind to know exactly what they were thinking, but literature, good literature, expands your mind, and. Uh, you look at it deeply and find messages in it. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, I, I would contend that you're isogeting when you do that. You're reading into uh, the text with your better angels to see what things you can then draw out of it. Uh, yeah. Well, but and you... who's, who's to say, just to interrupt on that mm-hmm. point, when you're talking about hermeneutics, who's to say that the sort of hermeneutic that most evangelicals abide by today is the only way to read the Bible. Because obviously for the first, I don't know how many centuries of the church, it was allegory. That's the way they interpreted most of the scripture. That's kind of gone by the wayside now. But you know, who's to say that that wasn't a legitimate form of interpreting the text, allegorizing? You know, right. Now it's more the historical grammatical exegesis that most evangelicals are in that sort of camp. You know, and they would say that allegory is completely wrong, but yet most of the church fathers interpreted the Bible allegorically. Right, or, or interpreted larger swaths of it uh, allegorically than we do today. And I, so I will, I will let you guys in on a secret. The secret's out of the bag. It won't really matter uh, because I still may not do it. But I, um, I, well, my red letters he... my my red letters project has been on hold for any number of reasons I haven't forgotten about it I have been thinking about writing another book uh, and by thinking about it that doesn't mean I've written an outline or <laughs> not even any notes or anything like that but I I have been thinking about it and uh, the book that I want to write next is uh, continuing the the Jesus thing but maybe taking in uh, more of the Bible. Uh, how we got from the words of the Bible to our understanding of it today, because mm. we've we've gone a long ways from you know how I think authors intended passages to how we read them today, but I think that Christianity uh, in all religions uh, do that to their sacred texts and source mm-hmm. materials. They they change it as they grow socially uh, and, and culturally and morally. Uh, and, but, but that's a process. It's a, it's a long, slow process. So that we get to, we, we go from Jesus saying things that make it very clear that he was no friend of people with great wealth and he had some very negative views about money 
to mega churches with flamboyant and ostentatious shows of money you know mm. how did we go there how do we how did we stop reading the bible the way i think it was read early on and start reading it this way i'm not saying even that we're wrong or that they're wrong i'm saying that there's a literary and cultural uh anthropological <laughs> process to how we go from there to here you know another one would be where jesus says you know, pray in your prayer closet, you know, don't, don't pray where people can see it. How do we go from there to ostentatious shows of Christians demanding the right to pray out loud and publicly in school classrooms and on football fields and to wear their crosses and to show their, uh, you know, their, their signs of piety? How did we go from what Jesus said to how we read it today? Uh, there is a journey there. There's a process that can be traced throughout time uh, to see how these things progressed. And well, um, yeah, so that's that's say, kind of that's kind of where I where my head is. It's a lot of research, though, folks. It's a lot. So, but there's been an interesting development. I don't know if you saw this. There was an article. I think it was Russell Moore. He used to be part of the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, and he came out and said the other about, about two months ago. I think it was that this poll had shown that most of your sort of Trump-loving evangelicals, they are now rejecting the teachings of Jesus yes. as too liberal. Yeah, and Je saying, Jesus, Jesus was a that. pussy. Yeah, so <laughs> that's, that's the... <laughs> when, you're, when you're putting in the sort of dominionist, Christian nationalist, you know, all that kind of stuff that's been going on probably since the late 1970s in the Christian right, I think that's part of the answer to your question. I mean, there's a lot more to it, obviously, but... It's it's they're saying now. Well, Jesus, you know, we wouldn't accept some of the stuff he said. It's it's too weak. Uh, we got to be more powerful and you know politically taking over the world and all the rest of it. Right. And one of the ways that they can say that I'm not saying that this is how they're doing it, but one of the ways they could do it is that Jesus gave advice for the people in his place and time right. that Culturally made sense bound. to them. Right. Yeah. But you know, as our culture wars have changed. Now we have to move from uh, followers of Jesus as as humble lambs to followers of Jesus as soldiers uh, mm -hmm. and and militant defenders, uh, yeah. and so you know it's it's that sort of thing. It's a it's a thing. So uh, I am I am trying to read the Bible first of all as I think it was intended, but also as a literary piece to see how we could read it better and what messages we could take from it from it that are not necessarily the original intent but positive all the same it's it's kind of the way a liberal uh, a very progressive christian might read the bible i think that um they can they can do that in very positive ways so yeah but there's another point on this i don't know how far you want to get into this but when you mentioned authorial intent and I remember that when I wrote my MA thesis uh, in, in seminary, the one of my first sentences, it was taken from E.D. Hirsch's book, and he's kind of the godfather of the idea that any text should be interpreted consistent with the author's intent, and that's been taken over by many, by sort of most evangelicals. But this is why they hate form criticism, source criticism, redaction criticism, and all that, especially with the Old Testament, because the Old Testament, every book was not written by one single author. It right. was redacted, it was edited, it was heavily changed over the centuries. So 
immediately when you say that kind of thing, you've got a huge issue right there. And even the books of the New Testament, we know have there's been redaction and things. So, you know, that gets into a, a, a down into the weeds. But, you know, I'm sure you'll be looking at all that when you get into your book. Oh, oh absolutely. Um, and, and so the multiple author thing is uh, an interesting challenge. But, you know, we have that today. And so it's, it still doesn't change authorial intent because then if if it's written by committee you can ask yourself uh what was going on in culture that made them write that that made them choose these particular texts or make mm -hmm. these particular edits so uh you know the difference between say the king james and the niv um why why is the niv uh different what were they trying to, the king james perfectly good translation of the bible um, what were they trying to do? What were they trying to fix? Mm -hmm. uh, what were they trying to improve? Now, how many people were involved in writing the NIV? Lots. Yeah, it was, it was a committee. <laughs> right. right. It's, it's, a, it's a committee. And so we don't need to know what's going through the mind of each person on that committee, but we can still ask ourselves broader questions about the committee and about the project of writing a new translation in the first place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, that's true. In a way, the King James was kind of the same thing because it wasn't just yep. one translator, was it? Right. Because I remember I went to the Society of Biblical Literature Conference in London in 2011, and it was the 400th anniversary of the translation of the King James, and it was right there in London. You know, so it was it was kind of a the whole conference was based around the King James translation. We went to some really fascinating uh, talks on that the translation of the King James and what they were trying to accomplish with that, you know, one of the first English versions and it was sanctioned by the King. So it was, you know, had a political agenda as well. So it's a, that's a fascinating story as well. Right. Right. And the story of Christianity and how it got from, uh, you know, the mouth of Jesus to Christianity 2.0 and mm -hmm. maybe we're on 3.0 by now, uh, how it, how it got from there to here is a fascinating story but once again it's it's a lot of research it's it hard is. work uh my sure first book was no i'm not <laughs> <laughs> so i'm not an academic and uh, i think that i understand the the writing part of it enough to do it uh mm. when i was a ghost writer I've, I've done some academic style stuff um so i could fake it but i'm not trying to be an academic and that's part of the problem uh this is you know i'm not submitting this for peer review i don't i don't care it's not uh, a dissertation no it's not a dissertation and um so it would be you know at a very common level maybe slightly higher level than than my last book but it's you know everything that i write i want to be accessible to as many people as possible and uh, and i don't want to pretend to be something that i'm not and so to, you know, maybe give it a slightly more academic gloss, I might uh, invite someone to, uh, you know, contribute uh, to it. But it's it's a ways off. There are things going on in my life that uh, keep it keep me from just jumping into it right now. But that's where my head is, uh, because there there are lots of things. There are lots of kind of uh, off ramps from my red letters project to this to this next piece. And um, so I've been trying to work out whether I want to do that. And then, you know, some of the some of the questions involved with that. So that's out there 
folks. Uh, mm-hmm. And if you want to talk to me about that, I'm happy to talk to uh, talk to you about it. Uh, you know, drop me an email or uh, have an off-topic post online. We can we can uh, chat about that. Today we are talking about the gifts of the Spirit. This will be a an at least two-part uh, series. We're going to start you with a conversation from a couple of gentlemen who are you know, on the whole, very sane. Uh, because when you start talking about the gifts of the spirit, you get into insanity real fast. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we're gonna we're gonna look at this uh, conversation, and then we're going to move to uh, some of the things that they don't talk about in this conversation uh, mm. at another time. So I just want this to be an introduction, and to introduce it properly, I want to do a thing that they don't actually do in this conversation, which is go to the gifts of the spirit part of the Bible. Oh, there is that. <laughs> yeah, so uh, it is uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, I've got this on my screen, and it is uh, the New Catholic Bible. I use this out of respect for Brian I, who is who comments probably more than anyone in the commentariat and is uh, who has more insight, <laughs> frankly, to share. So, and and he's kind of a former lapsed um, Catholic sympathizer kind of thing. He 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 can't be labeled. <laughs> Don't even <Right>. try. <laughs> well, this is his go-to version. Eh? Yeah, this is so. Uh, you know, he's extremely knowledgeable. When I when I want to know some deep knowledge about uh, you know orthodoxy or such, I just I just call him out and. Um, like Beetlejuice, he's there. So. Don't say his name three times, though. <laughs> I don't know what would happen if you said his name don't three do times, it. honestly. <laughs> so um, if you know what would happen if you called out Brian I three times, <laughs> leave it in the comments, skepticsandseekers.squarespace.com. <laughs> um, so um, chapter 12, we're going to go through... Uh, the first 11 verses, which is where they are. I have some questions about these verses. Uh, Clint, I might arbitrarily ask you to read some of these, but I'm going to get started at least with this first paragraph. I'm going to give it a try. Here we go. Uh, And I I will also include the little subheadings that are in the Catholic Bible and some other Bibles. Uh, The subheadings are not a part of the text. Uh, They are kind of an interpretative guide, though, aren't they? They're, They're... Yeah guiding the reader into basically what they think the principle of that paragraph is saying. Yes. So that, that could be a good or a bad thing. Yes. I was always suspicious of um, subheadings uh, mm-hmm. when I was when I was a young uh, Christian, because those are man-made. Yep. They have no place in the book. But then it was pointed out to me, uh, chapter and verse markers are also man-made. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> the original text didn't have anything of the kind, so it's true. <laughs> That's very. They were that. added much later. <laughs> yeah, they didn't come with uh, book titles, <laughs> so no. there's that. So, um, discerning the gifts of the spirit. I'm going to start with this paragraph. Now, in regard to the gifts of the spirit, brethren, I do not want you to be uninformed. I I have to stop me right there. (laughs) Let me stop you right there, Paul. Um, With regard to the gifts of the Spirit, isn't the Spirit an internal thing 
that is given to people the moment they become Christians. They receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. is, is, is that not true? Uh, it depends on your tradition, though, doesn't it? Because well, if, you're, if you're charismatic, you might say, well, yes, you receive the Holy Spirit as part of the salvation package, but then there's a baptism of the Holy Spirit that comes later, and that is oftentimes when people experience the gift of tongues and things like that, and that be that could be years later. You know, so there's a lot of gray area in this thing, I think. So I, uh, my curiosity would be, if you have the, the Holy Spirit package within you somehow, however that's defined, how would you not have knowledge about it? Because it's firsthand, properly basic knowledge. But he's saying this is specifically related to the gifts of the Spirit. Okay, That's but what once he doesn't again, want you to be uninformed about. Once again, the though, of the if you have the Spirit within you, how could you be uninformed about the gifts of the Spirit? Yeah, because doesn't uh, does Jesus say that the Spirit is coming and he will guide you into all truth? So well, therefore, right. the Spirit of truth and all the rest of it, that's that's the whole point, isn't it? Right. So Paul is treating this like it's some external propositional knowledge that they don't know. And yet he's talking to Christians. These are Christians who he's addressing. Mm -hmm. These are people who have the gifts of the Spirit. And I am very confused as to how, you know, what propositional knowledge Paul could possibly give them that they would not have being so indwelled with the Spirit. So, um, look, this is not even the <laughs> meat of the show. I just, I, yeah, this, when I read through this, I got questions. I got more questions. Let me, let me try to get through this paragraph. <laughs> All right. This is, um, maybe you this show is going to... You only made it gonna... through verse one, David. Let me just point that out. <laughs> this, this show is going to be longer than I thought it was. <laughs> yeah. We're not going to get to the video, are we? <laughs> we, we got it. We, we are. It's so short. <laughs> that might be part two. <laughs> All right. Uh, picking up verse two. Here we go. Uh, you know that when you were still pagans, you were constantly being enticed and led astray to the worship of mute idols. In other words, I, idolatry. That's what Christians would say today. They would say that non-Christians are still led away to the worship of mute idols. And they would say, you know, our money is our, our idols or our you know, social consciousness or whatever is our, our idol. Uh, so yeah. You have to interpret that, don't you? Because some yeah. some in his day were literally worshiping idols. I mean, they were right. literally worshiping idols. But I've never worshipped an idol uh, before I was a Christian, and I'm not a Christian anymore. I, I don't worship idols. So that has to be, like you said, interpreted, doesn't it? Idolatry. Right. Anything that takes you away from the worship of God is worshiping some kind of quote-unquote idol. Right. And uh, that's that's how most Christians, I think, do this. They they turn any any time they see the worship of idols, which they know is not uh, a common thing, especially in the West, and they turn it into idolatry, and they kind of generalize it so that you know they so that it can be applicable. All right, verse three. No, we're getting there. We're not even to the good stuff. Therefore, <laughs> I'm sorry about this. I I can't help who I am, folks. Therefore. <laughs> I wish you to understand that no one speaking under the influence of the Spirit of God says, May Jesus be cursed. Likewise, no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except under the influence of the Holy Spirit. 
Now, first of all, I don't know exactly what Paul means by being under the influence here. Um, mm. So that's, a, that's an interesting phrase that requires some unpacking that I'm not going to attempt to do right now. But the second part of this is really interesting. No one can say Jesus is Lord except under the influence of the Spirit. Well, let me try. You're just Jesus you just, is you Lord. You just said it. <laughs> Jesus just said is it. Lord. Let You're me, clearly let me, under the influence of the I'm, Spirit right I'm now. Try it with it. more sincerity here. Jesus is Lord. Mm, you're saved. Okay, so obviously it can't mean that, right? Right. Yeah, it's not <laughs> it, the it, words. It, it, so when he says no one can say Jesus is Lord, we kind of have to interpret that to mean no one can mean and believe uh, fervently in their heart that Jesus is Lord. Yeah. No one can accept Jesus as Lord except under the influence of the Spirit. Right. So somehow the act, actual act of salvation is is imbued by the Spirit as well. Is that kind of what I'm what I hear you saying? Right. And Be so a this true is true believer. That's part rather, of that is Jesus is when I say Jesus is Lord and I mean it in a repentance sort of way and all that. Uh, the Spirit is obviously active in that process. Right. I think that's but what he's saying. That's that's very problematic for me. Uh, because if that's what he's saying, and it does seem to be what he's saying, then it seems to be providing an out for the people who cannot say that Jesus is Lord. It's not them. They just weren't uh, given the influence of the Holy Spirit. Hmm. Because you can't do it without the Holy Spirit. You can't do it on your own. You can't study your way into saying that Jesus is Lord. You you can't, um, you know, there's there's no frame of mind that you can't humble your way into saying that Jesus is Lord. There, there's nothing that you can do. Um, you have to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Um, there's another piece in here that I want to uncover, though. Um, the, I'm going to have you. Oh, okay. I was going to say, but there's another. the the uh, The negative side of it is the first statement: no one can say Jesus be may Jesus be cursed except you're under the Spirit of God. I mean, you cannot you know can't say that. So I'm I'm getting that to mean like what you can't lose your salvation if you're not you know where where does that line go because that sounds suspiciously like blasphemy against the Holy Spirit or something like that, and nobody knows what that actually means. Or when you do that, but he's it kind of sounds like he's saying if you're a true believer, you cannot turn around and say, you know what, this is all BS. Jesus is cursed. I want out of this thing. You know right. what I mean? Is that right. kind of where he's going with it? it? Sounds like to me as well. There's uh, a flip side. The other side of the coin is you can't get saved without the spirit, but also you can't, in a sense, lose your salvation by cursing Jesus and walking away from Christianity at the same time. Well, right. So this this is something that confused me, and I thought about um, speaking up about this, but I realized how much time I was taking. Yeah, this first but no, okay, you've often done it now. Um, uh, look, we're going to get to anything. <laughs> we're going to get to the video, folks. I promise. This is what happens when you have two uh, former preachers reading the Bible. <laughs> but if you were preaching this text, if if I was preaching this, and I've preached this many times, I've gone through all these gifts of the Spirit. Um, you have to say something about what does that mean? You got to interpret it for your listeners, you know. So what does that mean? We have well, to exegete it and basically apply it for the lives of the listeners. 
No, because they're they're thinking, wait a minute, can I lose my salvation? Um, Because it sounds like I can't if I really have the spirit inside me. uh, What what does that mean? Yeah, you're missing you're missing the other option uh, that the preacher has here, which is to just skip it and uh, read on, (laughs) gloss over it. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's okay. Let's just skip over it. No, no. Look, so I hear what you're saying, and this seems terribly inconsistent. Yes. Uh, if you say, it, it, taking that last part, Jesus is Lord, and there was some point in your in your life when you believe that you could honestly say that, then one has to ask, well, then you are under the influence of the the Spirit, right? Yeah, how can you, you ever? How can you ever not be under the influence of the Spirit after that? That's what I I'm mean. Is is, yeah. is is the Spirit such a a fragile, diaphanous kind of thing that you can lose it easily. Um, I mean, it seems like once you're under the influence of the Holy Spirit, you're That's you're it. under it, right? <laughs> so, yeah, so how did I lose my salvation? How did you lose your salvation? Because we were genuine believers at a certain point in time. And I would have agreed with you. I would have said when I, the, the time I got saved in 1988 at a church service in Seattle, I confessed, I repented, I said, Jesus is Lord, he is my Savior, I accept him as my Savior, and I was a Christian, and I would have said it was under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Then, conversely, how did I walk away from the faith if the Spirit wasn't indwelling me my whole life? Right. I, um, you know, of course you know the the go-to answer uh from the Christian, many Christians' perspective, would be you were never yeah. under the influence of the Spirit it, because they see the problem. Yeah, uh, so when they Christian say that, then. right, they, they see the problem. If you were a Christian, it's really, really hard to logically explain how, how you could shake off the Holy Spirit as if it were rainwater. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that's... It does. It doesn't make sense that you should be able to do that. Now, other Christians would point to texts that say, uh, you know, that imply very strongly, you absolutely can lose your salvation. But I'm not talking about, you know, what the text says per se here. I'm talking about what what logically follows. Mm-hmm. And if you were under the influence of the Holy Spirit at this moment, how in the next moment could you not be? That's what you can't have your cake and eat it too. That's what they they want. The second half. You know, every true believer comes to Christ and somehow through the influence of the Holy Spirit, they don't like the other half. Like you said, it can be shaken off. It can be like water off a duck's back. Uh, I I shouldn't be able to do that. You shouldn't have been able to do that as an ex-evangelical. Right. And if what what Paul's saying is consistent. And honestly, there's there's nothing in the world that should make me want to. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> because yeah. I'm under the influence of the Spirit. Yeah, we're true. We were true <laughs> believers, all in, 100. percent We you were know. both pastors. I mean, I was a pastor, a Bible college teacher for over 20 years. Yeah. I was operating. And, I felt under the influence of the Spirit in every aspect of my life. And How I, did I, I walk away. I was, I was as sincere as you get. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I know that people don't know me. They didn't know me then, and so they just hear me saying these words. But as as a human being who is conveying to you the innermost truth of their heart as they understand it, there were no people more sincere than me. Yeah, <laughs> you could have been as sincere as me, but I was I was sincere as you get. And so, um, 
it's it, it, it just seems logically that it shouldn't be possible. Yeah, and he says no one, no one speaking under the influence can say Jesus is cursed. So lose your salvation. So yeah, you can't have it both ways. I don't think. Let's. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna pick up the next uh, couple. I'm gonna have you pick up at verse seven. There are one or two other observations here before we go to the video. But this is this is kind of the seminal text, you all. If you wonder why I'm going through this right now, because this is the beginning of a series on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. This passage is about to get more in depth into the gifts of the Holy Spirit. This is where this is the go-to for Christians with the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and so it's it's good to have a little bit of a foundation in this so that you understand uh, what you're listening to, because, you know, future sermons, including the one that we're going through today, don't even mention this. Mm. Uh, they just kind of allude to uh, a thing that they assume Christians already know. So um, this is this is the thing that they're alluding to. The Spirit distributes the gifts for the common good. That's a subheading. There are different varieties of gifts but the same spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different forms of activity, but the same God who produces all of them in everyone. Okay, that's a very good introduction to what we are about to pick up on. Clint, I am going to ask you to pick on verse 7, and I pick up on verse 7, and I'm going to interrupt you a lot. Uh, and in my closing statement today, I'm going to come back to verse 7. I'm saying this aloud so that, Clint, you will remember. And if I make a closing statement that doesn't allude to verse 7, I need you to remind me <laughs> that, I, mm. that I wanted to come back to this. All yeah. right. So if you would pick up there, Clint. Well, I can't do it without uh, throwing a little commentary in there because I actually I like the, the heading on the Catholic Bible because I can remember preaching through this passage, because you mentioned this passage about spiritual gifts. There are a couple of other ones. There's one in Romans. There's one in Ephesians 4 and 4 or 5, where he talks about spiritual gifts. So this isn't the only passage in the New Testament. But my my principle when I preached through this passage was taken from verse 7, which is the heading, which is, I would say, the principle of what Paul's trying to say here is that the Spirit gives gifts to the whole church. They're all different. But the whole point is they're all for the edification and building up of the church body. And he goes into that later on yes. in analogizing it to the human body and all the rest of it. So I think they've kind of they've hit the nail on the head in that sense, what Paul, I think his argument is in this passage. Anyway, so you want me to read verse, what, 7, 8, 9? Uh, yeah, in fact, read all the way through 11. Okay, so Paul says, To each of us, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. Stop the tape. Um, <laughs> okay. So uh, I have a two-part question for you right here, uh, Mr. Seminarian. Uh, I, need you to, I need you to answer these for me once and for all, because no one has ever done it for me. <laughs> mm. Part one, he's given... Uh, the spirit of utterance of wisdom and mm -hmm. to another the utterance of knowledge what's the difference that paul see, is seeing between wisdom and knowledge that's question number one question number two is wisdom seems like a pretty important thing knowledge yes. seems to be a pretty important thing why is that only given to some people 
and not everybody. To some, I'm going to make knowledgeable and others I'm going to make stupid. How does that make <laughs> sense at all? So th those, that's my two-part question. Go. I remember this from Bible college and seminary because that question has been asked. And I think I, I must have talked about it in my sermon when I preached through this passage. But I remember hearing that somewhere that wisdom is the application of knowledge or something like that. Have you heard that before? Yes, you know, except could, this doesn't seem to be that because he's talking about the utterance of wisdom, not not yeah. the application. And then he talks about the utterance of knowledge, not the application. So is he, you know, my literary brain tells me that he's just using repetition. Yeah, but I think uh, I would have said as an evangelical, there is a difference, especially if you look at the more charismatic side, if they're talking about a quote unquote word of knowledge. You know what I mean? That's mm -hmm. different. Where someone comes up to you at a church service or whatever and says, the Lord has given me a word of knowledge about your life that they could not have possibly known. You know, and I'm speaking directly into your life about something. I don't even know anything about it. God's just laid this on my heart and I'm going to tell you something. I, it doesn't make any sense to me, but it will make sense to you. To me, that that would be like a word of knowledge, whereas wisdom would be something like a, a Christian comes up and says, you know, God's laid this on my heart. Here's what you should do in this particular circumstance or situation. This would be the wisest course of action. You know, there would be a different, I think a Christian so, would make. So one would be advice and one would just be creepy uh, knowledge. Well, it's more like prophetic, you know, because I've, ha I've had someone come up to me when I was at a Foursquare church and said, God's given me a word of knowledge about a specific situation. It was about whether or not I should uh, apply to Bible college. And they quoted a couple of Bible verses and basically what I took away from that was, yes, the word of knowledge is God is working through this complete stranger to tell me, to give me encouragement and say, go ahead and move down this path. And so I did. I applied to Bible college. I was accepted. And I, I interpreted that as, wow, this is God giving me a word of knowledge that I needed for that season of my life so I could move ahead. This person knew nothing about me going to Bible college. You know what I mean? So I would have said, wow, that's that's a word of knowledge. That's That fits that category. You know, whereas wisdom might be something slightly different, more like Solomon, the wisdom of Solomon, mm -hmm. you know, uh, what you should do, what you shouldn't do. One course is better than the other. So the one of the reasons I still think this might be a repetition thing, although the way you explain it is exactly the way uh, many charismatic people explain it. Yeah, so that, I think, that is yeah, from a charismatic point of view. That's it is, how they it is hard for me to imagine that that's what Paul had in his mind mm. uh, when he wrote this. Uh, so one of the reasons this sounds like repetition is because if you think about your definition of word of knowledge, um, it, prophecy is also one of the gifts. Yeah. And so that, w that becomes repetitive. <laughs> then, um, yeah. What's the difference between a word of knowledge and a prophecy? Right. It's, it's very hard to see these minute, uh, differences yeah, here. Right. And so. I think there may be some element of repetition, but there also may be some little bit of difference. But the problem with this text is Paul never at any time explains what these gifts mean. Mm -hmm. So he just he just says some words here, but we yeah. have no idea what it means or how it how it looks in real life. And it's just left to moderns to kind of come up with, uh, you know, what that might look like. Mm. And well, he, uh, yeah, to be fair to Paul, uh, I think it's in what first Corinthians 14, 
So he goes on a little bit later. He'll he'll talk about the gifts of tongues in a church service, what it should look like. And right. when I preached through that, I basically said to what it sounds like to me, someone who, let's say, stands up in a service and, and speaks in an unknown tongue, another person is supposed to interpret that tongue so that the rest of the people in the church can understand it in their own language. Right. And it essentially becomes a prophecy then because then it's or a word of knowledge. Because it's it's a tongue, and then it was interpreted in you know in the language right, of the which listeners. Seems like a lot of redundancy. <laughs> yeah, why not so. just have the? But I, the way I would have interpreted it then, and I've gone I've I've gone to charismatic churches, and I've seen the gifts of tongues, and then interpretation of tongues, and it was you know an edification for the whole church, and it was like wow, that was even more proof that God is real because here this person spoke in a tongue that none of us could have understood. Then another person, a complete stranger, stood up and said, "God is saying." This, this, and this. Wow, that is unbelievable. That's a word of knowledge. It's a prophecy. It's a tongue and an interpretation. It's clearly a God thing, you know. So that's what I would have said back then. I'm, I'm going to keep my powder dry on this because I know <laughs> that in in uh, in the next sermon, not in this sermon, they they're not like I said. They're fairly sane in this one, so they don't talk about any of this stuff. Oh, <laughs> but, damn it! Yeah, no, you're gonna you're gonna have to wait to part two. Okay, <laughs> really. But this is one once again. This is kind of why. I want to go over that. Uh, want to go over it now, so that you understand the source material that they're talking about, that 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 they're talking around. Um, and yes, you you are right in that there are other places that talk about gifts of the spirit as well. I think this is probably the the longest exposition of it, mm -hmm. um, but it's certainly not the only. Um, so, all right, I will accept. Oh no. For part now? two, part two uh, we'll of the there. question. Uh, why, oh, yeah. yeah, why reserve wisdom and knowledge for a few people, a few special people, and not for everybody? Because it seems to me that everybody in the knowledge uh, in the in the body needs knowledge and yes. wisdom. <laughs> that that's the that would be the operative principle in verse seven. And that for each person, he or she has been given a specific gift or gifts that the body collectively needs. So to you, he might have given wisdom. To me, he might have given tongues. You know, but you didn't get my gift, and I didn't get your gift. Okay, but that, it, I'm sorry. Isn't the body isn't the body benefited more if if nobody is stupid? But that, that's why we let's say if, if you've got wisdom, I need your gift. We all need your gift. Right, that's but you, you don't go home with me. You don't, you don't live my, you don't go to work with me. You don't live my life with me. And so you yeah. may provide some wisdom at some church meeting uh, once a month at church. How is you uh, having knowledge helping me who doesn't? Well, <laughs> I, what I would have said when I was in evangelical, my, my whole point of going through the spiritual gifts thing, we did about a six month series on it. And it was to encourage people not only to understand what your gift is, but also to use it in the service of the church. So if you can identify your spiritual gift or gifts, plural, then how can you use them for the service of the church? So it wasn't, wasn't about just me doing my thing for myself. It was to serve the body in a, in a you know creative way. So that's where I always tried to take it was, it was given for the common good so the church can be edified. So we need your gift. You need my gift. And, and your gift isn't more important than mine. And my gift isn't more important than yours. Which is what he talks about later okay. in the chapter. Well, all the, all the discerners in this small congregation 
our own vacation. They're on a mm. discerner's retreat. And, uh, <laughs> and so some we got discernment. some, right. We got, we got to have some discernment. We need some wisdom right now. The only people left are stupid people who can babble in <laughs> tongues. So that's not going to help. I'm we're screwed. So, basically we're screwed. So, <laughs> all right. Well, you just will... cancel all retreats, no retreat. Ah, <laughs> oh, man. The one who had the knowledge died. <laughs> we got We got to recruit another knowledge another person. Another knowledge person. Yeah. <laughs> All it's right. rough, go, I tell you. Go ahead and um, verse nine. If, if you can pick up from that, <laughs> right, I'm just going to go one more. Verse nine. Another by the same spirit is granted faith, while still another is granted the gift of healing. Okay, by the let same me spirit. now stop. I'm sorry. We can't even get we to healing yet. No, <laughs> let me just stop you right there. Another um, granted faith what What the hell okay we all had faith right it just said earlier uh in fact that you can't uh say that jesus is lord unless you are uh under the influence Mm -hmm. of the spirit so it's all it's all faith as a gift but this is a special granting of faith that apparently goes beyond that so what does it mean? What do Christians mean by faith? Because I, I've got a feeling that this is some other meaning, and I, I've never heard Christians kind of exegete this uh, in this way. So, you know, if you say yeah. faith is believing some, you know, things that you don't have evidence for, then you've got the special gift of being particularly uh, credulous, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, or is it incredulous? Whichever one it is that... Um, has you believing uh, all kinds of things um so you're you're especially credulous now <laughs> um and or or if it means trust you know the average member you know someone comes in and says they're uh speaking for jesus maybe the average person in that con- uh, congregation wouldn't trust them but you've got the gift of faith and so mm-hmm. you'll trust anybody <laughs> I think the way it would be interpreted, and I remember preaching through this passage, and my narrative example was George Mueller, right? You've heard of George Mueller. He was a, a British back in the, I want to say, Victorian era, uh, maybe early 1800s. And he, he was one I held up as, here's an example of a Christian who had a gift of faith. In other words, George Mueller, he started orphanages all over Britain, and he, he, a lot of his orphanages that he started, he had no money for them. He had no way to fund them, but he just believed by faith that God would provide. And God did provide, you know, in that story. And he, he ran all these orphanages. And a lot of times he wouldn't even have food to feed the, the orphans, let's say that day. So he would say, all right, everyone gather around. We're just going to pray uh, for the, the food today. We don't worry about tomorrow. And miraculously, God would just provide uh, bread and food for the kids that day. You know, and so I would hold up George Mueller and say, that's an example of a person who had an extraordinary amount of faith. And he proved it daily on a weekly, monthly, yearly basis in his orphanages, you know, that he ran for decades in Britain. I would say that that's theologically suspicious at best, uh, because Jesus expected all of his followers to have that kind of faith. Yeah. Uh, The kind of mustard seed faith that could move mountains kind of faith, the kind of faith that says, uh worry not about these you know these little necessities of life like yep. food clothing and shelter bread. uh but trust god Ask, for yeah. each of that moment by moment this is that's not a special gift of faith 
for the you know the three people in your mega church mm-hmm. that's that's what every christian was supposed to have and so i still suggest that that doesn't that can't possibly scratch the surface of what this special granting yeah. of faith what does that mean means unless and here i think is very likely the case because paul was writing before people put words in jesus mouth Paul, Paul simply had a different idea of of how that faith worked. He thought that that kind of faith was something issued only to special people mm-hmm. in, in special circumstances. But the Jesus followers post-Paul came along and said, no, no, no. Jesus wants every member of his kingdom to have this kind of faith. This is not just a a thing for special people. This is a direct contradiction, it seems to me, if if that's what it means. And so uh, I'm going to, rather than say the thing that I think, which is, yeah, this is a direct contradiction. <laughs> Jesus and Paul had different ideas about faith and how it, how it applied to people. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to say that this is some mysterious gifting that nobody uh, understands. Uh, I think that's right, yeah. Because like you said, you know, other pastors, he'll at least expound on what the certain gifts should look like in the operation of the church. What does faith look like in this context? We don't know. Right, but your so your, your example of like Mueller, Mueller, yeah, yeah. But you see that the least of the kingdom mm-hmm. is supposed to have that kind of faith. Yeah, all Christians should be living yeah. with a radical faith. Yeah, as that's it were. that's table stakes, and so, mm-hmm. but not for Paul. For Paul, it's a special spiritual gift. But go yeah, ahead, we don't verse know what ten. We're we're okay. almost, we're almost done with this passage, oh, folks. But we, we didn't we didn't say oh, this gift of healing. Oh, why yeah. aren't they? Why aren't the healers going and clearing out the hospitals and sick bays? Then this is always the question, isn't it? If, so you know, I Benny kinda, Hinn, where is he? You know that that kind of thing. You know, healers on vacation. Uh, <laughs> you know, well, I'm dying in my bed. Mom, mom, mom's gonna die in three hours. I can't get a hold of the healer. Why? <laughs> Yeah. Why, once again, if all of these things are good things, why aren't they available for everyone? And once again, I would say that this is Paul and Jesus disagreeing. Mm. Uh, because Jesus said that if you have uh, faith of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. You can yep. do greater things than what you saw of me. Now, either A, he was only talking about his 12 apostles, and then that kind of faith doesn't apply to anybody or b he was being general and that kind of faith applies to everybody but what it can't mean is it only applies to some certain people in the future who have a special gifting of the spirit so either everybody can heal jesus or only a handful of people can heal paul mm-hmm. which which one can we believe but we can i cannot harmonize those two things well, and why isn't it more um, clear what your gift is? If let's say let's let's assume that what Paul's saying is 100% true, certain people can heal, some people have faith, some people have wisdom, prophecy, tongues, whatever. Um, why do people have to go through these spiritual gift inventories and take tests and everything to kind of discover? Oh, I, th- I think I might have the gift of whatever. You know, why don't the healers? Why aren't they more identified? Because in my church, where I where I grew up, and the church where I was an elder and a pastor. Nobody that I could tell had the gift of healing where consistently every single time when they prayed for a ser- someone who was sick or dying, they were healed. I- I've never seen that happen ever. 
You right. know, why isn't that happening? So I'm I'm going to punt the rest of my comments on healing for uh, show okay. number two. <laughs> but put it on the back burner. Yeah, but it's it, it will come back. But I would I would just point this out again if you haven't thought about it. Uh, these things that Paul is saying, God gives to some people this and some people that and some people that. Jesus said, all of my uh, followers have access mm -hmm. to this. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, verse 10, take us, take us home. Okay. The last couple of verses then. To one is granted the gift of mighty deeds, to another the gift of prophecy, and to yet another the gift to discern spirits. Stop right there. I'm sorry. We didn't Stop even get half, did through the, the verse. Tape. No, I know. <laughs> Look, I'm going to pass up mighty deeds. All right. This is me showing up. restraint. I'm, I'm going to pass up prophecy. We had a, a mention of that. Yeah, we did. Ah, okay. What spirit. the hell is this? the gift of discerning spirits? And once again, if the way I've heard Christians talk about this, my immediate reaction is, well, that would be pretty useful to have if we're surrounded by demons. Mm. Wouldn't it be nice for everyone to be able to discern, discern spirits? Why do I need to have you on speed dial when <laughs> I encounter a situation that requires discerning spirits? What the heck is discerning spirits? I don't know. But we were talking before we hit record about Mike Warnke, the famous Christian comedian who was proved to be a charlatan. Um, why didn't someone discern the fact that Mike Warnke spent, you know, spent over 20 years, hugely popular Christian comedian, selling out megachurches and all the rest of it? Why didn't they figure out he was a liar way before that? Surely that would have fit in there, a discerning, a ministry of discernment, as it were. This guy's lying. He's absolutely lying about his whole career as a Satanist high priest and everything else. Where was the discerners? Right. You know, or for Ravi Zechariah. Yeah, so for, many. Um, yeah, so many. Just so um, many charlatans. Yep. So I don't know what discerning spirits means, uh, I but I, I, don't, I don't see... Anyway, uh, so hit me with uh, verse 11. Okay, <laughs> the last, last half one. of verse 10. One, oh, receive, yeah. one receives the gifts, gift of tongues and another the ability to interpret them, which we've kind of touched yeah. on. Punt. He go should ahead. be, yeah. If you want to read about that, go to First Corinthians 14 because he talks about. I would just say on that that the problem I always had when I was a kid growing up in church, going to a charismatic church, I thought, wait a minute, they're not applying the biblical pattern here because there was never, I never heard of an interpretation of tongues. You know, people right. spoke in tongues all over the church. And I'm going, wait a minute, as I read Paul in First Corinthians 11 and 14, he says it's imperative that a person who speaks in tongues must then be followed by another person who is interpreted so that the church can understand what he or she said and therefore be edified. So I always question that even as a kid saying, wait a minute, what, some, someone should be interpreting this. Why, why is the interpreter? And there right. was never, there was never an interpreter. Right. It, but you see the, the problem was always deeper than that. That's the one that those of us who are theologically minded, mm. that's the problem that we solve with the problem actually is so much simpler and people who are not theologically minded <laughs> just skeptical would see it so i'm going to demonstrate it right now so i'm going to speak in a tongue and i'm going to have you interpret it oh okay thus now saith you... the lord okay what what um, what does go ahead david has the gift of faith <laughs> yes okay look that's 
this this is the problem, folks. Someone <laughs> says something that is unintelligible, unintelligible gibberish, and then another person stands up and says, "Hey, I got it. I know what that means." How do you validate either yeah, side? Exactly. How do you? What you do gotta, you? Oh, that's where the discernment of spirit comes in. <laughs> you see, that's the it. The discerner is out sick. <laughs> Oh, because right. the healer is on vacation. <laughs> yeah, but I remember that because the church that we, when we landed in the UK, we went to a charismatic church, and that was the first time I'd ever seen a tongue followed by an interpretation. And the elders of the church would basically stand up and say, we discern that that is a legitimate, you know, um, interpretation, that it's biblical. You know, you wouldn't, an interpretation of tongues wouldn't stand up and say, I've just, you know, that person just said Jesus is actually Satan. You know, that wouldn't happen or right. Jesus be cursed. And if and if they did that, the elders would say, no, stop. That that cannot be biblical. That's not right. We discern that that's a false interpretation. Right, but how do you, you know, know I mean? that the discerners are not just making it up too? You have They're nothing. the leaders, David. They're the elders, man. You have a whole chain of trust that's based on nothing. <laughs> no, they took a spiritual yeah. gift inventory, man. You, you they know you, they had the gift of discernment. You take one plank and you put another <laughs> plank on top of it and another plank on top of it. And then you, you say that looks solid and you stand on top of it, not realizing that the first plank is in midair. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, you know, so this okay, is. Wait, we got one more verse. We didn't. Oh, I'm sorry. It, I'm, I'm so I know sorry. we didn't get to 11. So go yeah, back. Let's, scroll. Okay. So it's the last verse. Sorry. About one that. in the same spirit works all these things, distributing them individually to each person as he wills. End of sermon. Right. This is uh, all I'm going to say about this uh, again, like a broken record, is this is antithetical to the teachings of Jesus hmm. because he promised his spirit for everybody. And he yeah. promised that everybody would would have this sort of thing. And we don't see, you know, divisions, divisions of this and special giftings of this. You know, that person gets this and that person gets this. Yeah, Jesus never until talked later. about that, did he? No. He never mentioned, you know, certain, certain of you are going to have certain gifts. Because I can remember hearing sermons on this and the, the, the stretch was, the preacher would go back and look at the various disciples of Jesus and say, ah, you see, so-and-so had clearly had the gift of this. And you can see that in those disciples, even though they didn't, they didn't know what it was. And so in a way, Jesus kind of was talking about, he didn't say it, but his disciples manifested it. That's a stretch, surely. Let's, uh, let's take this 14 minutes. And uh, I, I am going to put on a positive hat. <laughs> so, Wait, hey, were you? I thought you were wearing it the whole time. Matter. What happened? Uh, look, <laughs> it, it gets it gets knocked around. It gets tilted. Okay. I got fell I, off a few times. <laughs> I stapled it on, so it's it's gonna be all right. You duct tape it on too, I think. By the way, if someone knows who this guy is, please let me know in the comments because I, I see him all the time. Dial in ministry. Thanks for sitting down. Okay, again. Paul. I wanted to ask Paul you, Washer. We've been told Just that we are to employ looking. our spiritual gift in the service of Christ. Right. But maybe many today are wondering, well, I don't actually know what my gift is. How does someone go about ascertaining their spiritual gift? Okay, uh, just oh, a real, yeah. real, real quick question there. And again, it has to do with internal witness, senses divinitatis, uh, properly basic belief, first person um uh qualia that sort of thing if you actually have the holy bob inside you 
Bob is the name that I've given the Holy Spirit because he's never given a name <laughs> in the Bible. He's, he doesn't have a name. That's true. The Holy Spirit is just a description. So, I, Bob, you've got the Bob. How do you not know what your gifting is? Yeah. Why is it so difficult? Right. Why? I mean, if you've been zapped with a thing and you are, as, as uh, the Catholic Bible puts it, under the influence of the Spirit, how are you wandering around asking other Christians, hey, I don't know what my gifting is. Can you help me? <laughs> how does, if, if you have to ask somebody what your gifting is, you probably ain't got one. Yeah, exactly. And that, that's Sorry. what I was going to say. We spent probably six or eight weeks going through a sermon series. Again, I'm saying when I when I was the pastor there talking about how to discern your spiritual. We actually bought a book for everybody in our church. We bought about 50 books, and it was all about a spiritual gift inventory, living your strengths and all that. Everyone took a test online, and we put tried to put it all together, tried to put people in ministries that sort of fit their gifts and profiles and personalities. I mean, that was a lot of work to go through for a church. Why is it so damn difficult? Yeah. So let me tell you how you don't do it. Mm -hmm. Okay. And uh, again, back in the 80s, there were all these almost kind of psychological exams, uh, yeah. questionnaires that you could go through. And in the end, you would kind of do you discern. like leading people? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Who doesn't like yeah. leading people? So you uh, you mentioned uh, this yeah. uh, earlier. You you alluded to these types of yeah, exams that. Uh, yeah. 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 And it wasn't uh, in the 80s, too, by the way. It was the late 2000s. Uh, yeah, well, it's it's been around for a while. Okay. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's not something that I uh, ever used in in my branch of the Church of Christ. We we didn't care. I I may have run into one or two churches that did that sort of thing, but for me, it it was just always kind of silly. Uh, mm. I don't need to fill out a questionnaire to know what my gift is, and if I do. I don't have a gift. Where, mm -hmm. where did you get that questionnaire from? You didn't get it out of the Bible. Uh, so that's just, you're just trying to apply your man-made wisdom to figure out my spiritual gift. It's my yeah. gift. You don't have a clue what my gift is or should be. So right. why and, should I take your questionnaire? Yeah. But like he says, I think a lot of it kind of comes around to like a personality profile. You know, the different Myers-Briggs and things like that that's where a lot of it where i where i walked away from it i thought okay this is more like my personality these are the things that i'm good at these are the things i enjoy doing that's what i'm going to spend more of my time doing rather than doing things i don't enjoy you know so in that way it was helpful but i of course put it to to my spiritual gift at that time so a, a theme in this video i will just say this up front because we've already hit it uh one of the themes uh that i'll probably come back to toward the end is what they are calling spiritual gifts, mm -hmm. uh, what they seem to be referring to as spiritual, spiritual gifts. And this is true for a lot of Christians. They're talking about a lot of mundane human things. Mm -hmm. But, you know, in a Christian context, suddenly it's a gifting. You know, so leadership, is that's, that's not a religious thing. Uh, mm -hmm. the, the world is full of leaders, and there are plenty of contexts where we need leaders right mm -hmm. um you don't have a gift of leadership <laughs> uh you but society has need for leaders in every aspect of it uh, as as a part of social evolution 
some mm -hmm. people emerge as leaders. Um, and so if you've got a completely secular organization and within that secular organization, some people rise up to become leaders, would you call that a spiritual gift of leadership? No, but in the context of the church, uh, Christians are so hungry, they're so thirsty to find something for their God to do mm -hmm. that they call these mundane things that are just a part of the human animal a spiritual gift. Because mm -hmm. in reality, they don't have any actual magic to show. Mm. So they can say, oh, well, that person, they're a leader, they're a they were gifted. Oh, see that mm -hmm. person, how they're merciful? They they receive the gift of being merciful, you see? Uh, and yet, all the secular people out there that are merciful and donate to charities and things like that, you know, they're just secular doing human things. Mm. But when a Christian does it, it's a spiritual gift. Yes, we've got to sanctify it. By the way, I looked up Paul Washer for you. For those of you who don't know who he is, I didn't know who he was either, but apparently he's a Calvinist. He is a former missionary to Peru. He was in Peru as a missionary for about 10 years. While he was there, he founded a missionary organization called Heart Cry. So that's what he's still doing. So he's like an evangelist. He's a speaker, a preacher. He's affiliated with Southern Baptist Convention. So that's kind of where he's coming from, I guess. Yeah, and I've seen him in uh, the context of MacArthur and uh, yeah. Piper. He's in the neo-Calvinist thing, I think. Yeah, so it's a part for that. of our sinful nature, wanting yeah. to dominate. Um, and so, you know... I'm sorry, wanting to lead wait, is what? not a part of your sinful nature that wants to dominate. That's what he's saying. <laughs> Everybody wants to lead. It's part of our sinful nature that wants to dominate. Well, un unless God makes you a leader. Yes. Right? That's different. <laughs> so, right. <laughs> really. The first thing you need to ask yourself when you see things like that, uh, did the first century church have something like that? No, absolutely not. Yeah. They did not. So how did they discern their spiritual gifts? Well, let's begin with the foundation. And it's, it's this. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. The way that we come to discern the will of God is by reading the will of God. Mm -hmm. by reading the scriptures. Okay. Uh, just, this, just this little tidbit right here. Um, it's, it's one of these Christian presuppositions that they don't even uh, realize they're doing. Uh, they equate the Bible with the Word of God mm -hmm. and, and the, will of, the God. will of God, right, uh, which, which are subtly different things. But they, they equate, they equate uh, the Bible with that. And so I would agree normally that if what you want to do is you know let's say i'm a supervisor and i've written uh, a memo uh for the day and you want to know what you're supposed to be doing today read the memo mm -hmm. it, it 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 will Makes give sense. you a good um I, idea of my world uh, my will or you could just ask me because <laughs> i'm there i'm in the yeah. office uh and, and i can tell you my will so normally pretty good advice go to the source if you want to know what their will is the problem is they conflate what's in that book with the actual undiluted will of their god and and they they never they don't recognize that there's a difference between what someone said they thought God said to them um, 
and that may have been not transmitted quite accurately over time. Mm -hmm. uh, they 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 conflate that with the will of God, as uh, Andrew is fond of saying. They confuse the map with the territory, right. um, and so uh, Christians, we, you know, if your God has a will, don't show us your Bible because that Bible is is a human book. As far as we're concerned, it's a human book of human origin. Uh, so you're not gonna you're not gonna be sharing God's will uh, with us by shoving a book in our face. Well, and uh, why this is this is a time honored question. Why do so many Christians vehemently disagree over these gifts like tongues, for example? You know, when I was fifteen or fourteen, my friend Guy and I we've had a massive argument. He was raised in a charismatic background. I was raised in Church of Christ. We were cessationists taught that the gifts of tongues and prophecies and miracles had all ceased as of the first century, and we had biblical evidence to back us up. He had biblical evidence to back up his position. We nearly fell out and, and weren't, weren't even friends anymore after that argument, and yet we were both passionate Christians arguing our perspective. Why is it so radically different? So his argument is very reductionistic. Just read the Bible, and you'll know. Well, wait a minute. I read the Bible, and my friend Guy read the Bible. We came to radically different conclusions over the gift of tongues, which is ironically one of the spiritual gifts that Paul mentions we just read. And there you have it, folks. Yeah. The scriptures are the manifestation, not only of the character of God, the person of God, but it is the inerrant manifestation of the will of God. Right. So there you got uh, inerrancy again, in there. I just, I just have to um, in, invite the Christian because the skeptic doesn't really need me to say this again that is such a huge presuppositional leap mm -hmm. <laughs> what he just said and you, you've given a skeptic no reason whatsoever to believe that that is true mm -hmm. so if i saturate my life in the scriptures then i'm going to be able to discern the will of god more clearly on a personalized level so you have oh, to start can you there. you got to stop a person that. shouldn't mm -hmm. My God, did you hear what he just said? If I saturate my life with the scriptures, I will be much more in a, in a better place to discern the will of God. I mean, I saturated my life with the Bible for decades, and I still had a hard time figuring out what God's will was for even the most simple decisions. I mean, moving to the UK, it took us over two years to make that decision because we prayed and begged and did everything we could think of to try to figure out if what we were doing was in fact God's will. Why did it take so long? And I, I was a preacher. I was a pastor. You know, I was saturated in the Bible. That that basic sort of formula does not work. It doesn't work. Right. No and why are says. we why are we advantaging the Bible in this way? I mean, cannot yeah, the Muslims say if I saturate myself in the Quran, mm -hmm. uh, then I will be uh, more in tune with the will of God? Or the Hindu can say if I saturate my uh, uh, my life in the uh, Vedas, then I will be uh, more in tuned uh, with mm. the, you know, the true God. Why, why is the Bible privileged in this way? Once again, you have made a claim and you've said some things, but you have given no one outside of your own head any reason to believe it. It's special pleading, and it it goes into the category of sacred science. For Christianity, the Bible is sacred science. It's it's bibliolatry. I think what he's what he's basically saying here, 
we're, we're in a sense worshiping the Bible. Wait, yeah, go back and like say a magical that, book. Yeah, bibli bibliolatry. Bibliolatry. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's kind of like worshiping the Bible. That's what a lot of Christians do. It's it's sacred science. They hold the Bible up as this special book, and so he just said, it. if you saturate your life with the Bible, you will be in a better place to discern the will of God. So it makes you a more special super Christian right. who's more in tune with with the divine. Which is which is what every cult leader huckster says yeah. if you so, saturate your life in the words of yeah. l ron hubbard yeah read dianetics uh, right um so that's you know but once again the christian the christian doesn't hear not only how how presuppositional it is but also how damn creepy it is <laughs> yeah. start seeking for their gift they should start seeking god seeking to understand the will of god and submit themselves to that will now once they do there's something that, uh, especially young people, when I tell them this, they go, no, it can't be that way. Mm -hmm. And I go, really, it is. The first thing is, what do you aspire to do? Mm -hmm. What do you delight in? Mm -hmm. There are some young men that become Christians, and you don't even have to tell them. They go out in the street with tracks almost immediately and yeah. start witnessing to everybody on the planet. Yeah. They're, let's say that their friend is converted at the same time. Yeah. And he doesn't do that. Does that mean he's not spiritual? No. But he's studying the Word like four hours a day. Yeah. And so what you have to do is ask yourself, what do I aspire to? Because it says in, in, um, in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 3 that if anyone aspires to the work of an overseer, okay? Yeah. So what do you aspire to do? Okay. Well, he said uh, that was evil, though, wasn't it? To yeah, be a leader. That, <laughs> you know, <it's, laughs> You, of course, everybody wants to dominate. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I cannot, I cannot square his circle uh, here. But I, but I can say, uh, without tipping my hand too much uh, for what I want to say at the end, uh, if you were trying to figure out what your talents are, or what you know, where you should be putting your energy uh, to develop yourself to the fullest. I'm, I'm trying to avoid the word gifting. You don't have gifts. Okay, there are no mm. gifts. B because a gift implies a gift giver. Yeah. Uh, it's a personality so, trait, isn't it, really? Right. And and you might there might be some things that you can naturally do uh, a little bit better with some development. You might have been born with a good left arm, which means you're probably going to be playing baseball. If you were, mm -hmm. if you were, if you were led in the right way, because you've got some natural ability that not everyone else does, and it uh, tends to show up in professional baseball a lot. Uh, and so, if you are trying to figure out if there is something special about you, this is the other thing I want to say. Um, and this is kind of a negative thing, and I and I know that people are not going to like this uh, on both sides. Uh, you are not special. <laughs> uh, you were, you were not stop. Uh, so just stop it. Um, none of us are special. Uh, so you're trying to figure out what's special about you. Uh, what's special about you is that you're particularly arrogant and narcissistic thinking that you're special. Um, you're, you are, uh, a human being, one of trillions that history most likely will not remember. Uh, and so that's awfully cynical, David. I'm I'm sorry, but it, it's just it's just true. And so if you're if you were kind of going through life, trying to find 
where you have been gifted by the universe with something special that sets you apart. Stop it. Uh, <laughs> and so, um, that, so <laughs> having said that, uh, that doesn't mean that you should feel bad about yourself. I mean, you're not garbage either. You're just not special. You're, you're, you're like me. <laughs> you're like, uh, you're like the hobo that you pass by on the street. You're not special. However, uh, you might in fact have some, uh, talent, some ability that could be cultivated into something. You might have the potential to be a great singer mm -hmm. uh, or a great writer or some such. Uh, so uh, first of all, don't assume that you have that because you may not. You just may be an average Jane or Joe and that's fine. That's good. Yeah, but like um, you said, it, it it makes the Christian feel just that much little bit better. Right, you know, I've got the gift of discernment. I've got the gift of evangelism. I've got the gift of prophecy, tongues, whatever. Because I can remember even parsing it out. Someone asked me the question: What's the difference between a gift, a spiritual gift, and a talent, a natural? No, I'm 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 good at sports. I'm I was good playing soccer. I was good at playing American football. Does that is that a talent or is that a you know? Well, I need to take that talent that God's given me that proficiency at sports and use it for the good of the gospel, the kingdom, you know, so I want to join Christians, you know, athletes for Christ or something like that. So yeah, they would even tweak it that way. They would say, well, even the talent that you've been given in sports or as a writer or a public speaker or whatever, use that for the good of the kingdom. So even then you can't just say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm good at sports. That makes me a little bit different than some other people. No, you have to use that for the, for the good of the kingdom. Right. Um, but I, so the, the positive thing that I want to say off of this for uh, kicking it off again would be, yeah, start by uh, being honest with yourself about what you like. Yeah. Um, you know, it's okay to have a little bit of introspection and think about the things that you already enjoy. Yeah. Uh, but all you, you got to do is watch the audition for American Idol and realize, you know, a lot of people love to sing, but they're not the next Mariah Carey or, you know, <laughs> they're never well, going right. to be, you what, know, what you next like, Whitney Houston. What you like doesn't mean that you've got some gifting yeah. <laughs> of any kind in that in that area. However, it is a thing that will point you to exploring it. Sure. And so it, it and it will help you put some energy behind it. So if you like rock and roll music and you love those lead guitars uh, and you might get uh, a guitar and start learning how to play it and and you might uh, have the kind of motivation because you like it so much to put in the uh, 10,000 hours to become uh, good at it great that's yeah. that's yeah. one way to uh, to cultivate what might already be naturally there however if you're not good at it and if it's not what you should be doing, you don't have a talent for it, I guarantee you long before the 10,000 hours is over, you're going to realize that you don't like it. <laughs> you're yeah. going to realize this is drudgery. This is work. Yeah. And even if you could become proficient at it, you wouldn't enjoy it. Um, mm -hmm. lots, yeah. lots of accountants spend a lot of money going through accounting school and realizing I hate this. <laughs> so uh, they're good at it, but they hate it. But uh, this is actually, uh, I'm just going to say, good advice if you want to kind of maximize uh, your human potential. 
Uh, start by taking inventory on uh, on what you like. Uh, and there's some other good advice that we can get out of here straight up. Some other things that he says that can be turned into good advice, I think. But mm-hmm. I, let's uh, let's see if we can get a little bit further through here. But then, as we also see in First Timothy chapter three, you don't just aspire to be an overseer and become one, but you submit yourself to the leadership and the congregation, and they begin to judge. Also, do you have the gifts? Yeah. And if so, this is this mm. is a plus and minus. But uh, but I, I want to focus on the good thing here, uh, because you mentioned the example of you know watching an American uh, American Idol and you know really loving to sing. Uh, this is where you need to kind of read the room. Uh, don't sing for your mother; she she loves it. Mm-hmm. She's not. That is not a good sounding board. Yeah, it's not objective. Uh, sing for your friends, and if your friends say, "Oh, please don't ever do that again," <laughs> yeah, I'll pay you not this, to sing. <laughs> yeah, this <laughs> this might be an, an indication. It may not be the only indication you need, but it might be an indication uh, that maybe uh, you're you're headed in the wrong direction, and so. Uh, it can be helpful to listen to your community as you yeah. explore things uh, that you like. You know, when I was uh, when I was in high school, you know, I was in a rock band. We did a, we had a I was always in, uh, a musician. Was in the band, but we also did a little rock band. And I and people genuinely genuinely enjoyed listening to us play. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I I knew yeah. that I was a musician anyway because I actually had the talent for it, and I worked all the time on it um and so by the time i got into high school i was i was pretty pretty good at this uh stuff but along the way you know there are lots of opportunities along the way where you can kind of read the pulse of the room and see whether other people like what you're doing too Mm -hmm. (laughs) and uh this is where the community can uh, having a community a trust community around you can really help you in in seeing if your desire is keeping up with reality. Now, the cautionary thing I would say about that is the community doesn't know everything. Yeah, and if I you, was just going to say that. You know, yeah. Maybe you are terrible at it right now, but you are so passionate about it and you love it so much. This is the part I was saying a while ago, that it pushes you to doing that 10,000 hours of practice, 20,000 hours of practice. And you might brute force yourself into a high degree of competence even if sure. you don't have those natural abilities, there are a lot of short people who have played professional basketball, right? They mm-hmm. were, and they were too short to do it. There were a lot of yeah. short, On paper, small they shouldn't people. Have, yeah. Allen Iverson played, was too short. Yeah. Yeah. On uh, paper, he shouldn't have been a superstar, you know? Should not have been. Uh, a lot of small people who played football who were great. Uh, shouldn't have happened. But those are the people who are so passionate that they didn't listen to anybody because mm-hmm. they were so driven by their desire. Not It wasn't just desire. It was desire that pushed them to do the sorts of things that made them good. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you have the kind of passion that can push you past the criticism and cause you to do the sorts of things that overcome your deficiencies and make you good at it, then follow that. Mm-hmm. rather than your community but by all means use your community as a sounding board to, to is, see what yeah. you need to do it's good advice but and i would say going back to his point he just made about okay you want to be an overseer you think oh, i'm going to be a leader i want to be a pastor an elder or whatever deacon submit yourself to the existing authorities that may not be a good idea all the time because 
you know, I've had those instances where I've, I've thought, well, I'm on this path. I'm going to Bible college and seminary. I want to be mentored by someone. I want to go into leadership and they've shot me down, you know? And so it's not always a good place because they could be jealous of you. They could be any, there could be any number of reasons. So it's churches aren't, they're not always the best place to develop Honestly, those quote unquote. Yeah. Guests. What you got to have is uh, the existing authorities have to be good authorities and it, yeah. it can be really iffy in churches because yep. uh, some of them may be of pretty good some of them may be not so good yeah i mean anakin skywalker uh presented himself to the council of jedi and the jedi were dicks mm -hmm. i i Just honestly think that anakin wasn't evil the jedi were dicks from his birth and they <laughs> shut him out <laughs> Uh, so he, I think they kind of made. Look, this is not a Star Wars talk. I don't even like Star Wars, but I think <laughs> I, you're going there anyway. <laughs> well, I mean, but it's you're already it's, there. It's this thing about leaders, right? I mean, yeah. you, you you have to have leaders uh, that you can trust. That's why I call it a trust community early on. And I don't I don't actually think that churches are great trust communities, but you can build uh, and recognize trust communities within your life and um that's a that's a good place to get a sense of whether you're whether you may be on the right path or not mm -hmm. you do have the gifts that's still not good enough are those gifts brought to maturity through study and through nurturing yeah. so what i tell people is this begin in the word of god ask yourself what do you aspire to do in the congregation and then talk to the leadership, talk to people and say, do you see this in me? Could I have an opportunity to begin doing this? Yeah. Now, um, I've seen people that the moment they're converted, they go directly to the kitchen. Yeah. I mean, it's what they love. They, they pick up a broom, they start sweeping. Other people who seem to have a gift of mercy reaching out to broken people. Um, the more that your gift involves the proclamation of the word, the more you must realize that that gift must be nurtured and it must be watched over yeah. by spiritual leaders or yeah. you can get yourself in trouble. You may have the gift, but you jump into the ministry mm -hmm. far too quickly and you do more damage than good. Okay, so mm, uh, interesting. generically speaking, I'm, I'm going to say this is uh, good advice when it comes to leadership. I mean, if you want to be a doctor, you go to medical school. That doesn't mean that you open a practice uh, the moment, mm -hmm. you know, you're out of medical school. I mean, you can go to a hospital, you go through residency, you go through, um, yeah, internships you know, and all uh, that. Yeah, exactly. There are a lot of layers of supervision you pay your dues. to, uh, to getting there. But the, the problem with this, when it comes to church things and quote unquote, spiritual gifts is that there are no authorities. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. the, the elders are just people who outlasted other people <laughs> yeah. in, in their congregation. They do not have any, they're not a, attuned to a God any more than you are. Uh, and so now you're just trusting people uh, and their own agendas to tell you, okay, well, you're ready to be a preacher. You know why more people don't become preachers just naturally through their congregation. They, they, uh, grew up in that congregation, uh, they should be in line to become a preacher at some point. It's because there's a preacher already there. Mm -hmm. And he has absolutely no desire to nurture people who could replace him. Yep, no, that's what I was saying. No preacher has 
any desire to nurture leaders that could displace him. Yeah, it could <laughs> so, be better than he is. Right. So, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. That's that's probably not great advice with churches. But secularly speaking, uh, especially in positions of leadership, uh, if you want to be a political leader, say, there are lots of levels of politics that you can get involved with and kind of move up the ranks. And the reason you do that is so that you can be tested and refined as you as you get more and more responsibility on the way up. I think it makes no sense at all for someone to run for president uh, just because they graduated uh, with a political science degree. Mm -hmm. Well, that's what I was saying. Going back to when I was the pastor and the elder of our church, I was trying to live out that sort of principle of what we talked about in first Corinthians 11, 12, uh, and that idea of raising up people who would be able to exercise their gifts. So we had a preaching team and I was passionate about training people to be pe better preachers than me in a, in a sense. So we had, I think there was six or seven of us and we met every Monday night and we would go over the passage that the next person was going to be preaching in a couple of weeks to give them kind of an overview. We'd break it down, we'd hash it through we talk about it and we sort of feedback from the last sermon. So it was a feedback loop as well. So there was one church, my church, where we did do that, but that's very rare, you know, and I got a lot of pushback because we had a woman who would preach. And every time we did, people would kick off about it. You know, you shouldn't allow a woman to preach, you know, and all that crap. So yeah, it's very difficult to do that, but it can be done. Yes. So we've got 10 minutes on this to go. I'm going to make a promise to the audience and to you. Uh, my fellow host. I will not be the one to stop this next. <laughs> You're going to put it's, the burden it's, on me then. It's going to be you. And if, if you do not do anything to cause me to stop it, I will not run. stop it. Fortunately, I have the gift of discernment. Mm -hmm. Paul, now, you know, I'm not even sure if I'm thinking <laughs> about this the right way, but I remember being in Nepal a couple of years ago with some new believers in small church on the Himalayan plateau, and I just thought, no one here wonders what their spiritual gift is because they wake up and they recognize a need right and then they do it right meaning like i met with pastors there that have been hiking for days to come to a bible conference mm -hmm. and they said um you know how did i asked them how long have you known you've been called to be a pastor and they just responded and said no one else was and talk to me about you know I'm, i want to make sure i'm even thinking the right way mm -hmm. how needs presented within the body yeah. of christ sometime even help serve as a catalyst for us serving where we might not even have previously thought we were gifted but all right i'm a dirty goddamn liar <laughs> um I'm, I'm so sorry i'll make it quick so i agree i uh look this is this is also great uh this is part of social and cultural evolution uh societies communities have needs and people rise up to fill them. Nature abhors yeah. a vacuum. Uh, so the thing is, though, the, the thing that gets me is just calling it a spiritual gift. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not a spiritual gift. If someone, you know, if you if you are in a village and your healer died and no one knows anything about healing, someone is going to grab the books, grab their old notes, go out in the woods and start testing some herbs so that they can take the place of the healer because you need one. Mm -hmm. Right? I mean, so... Um, 
a, a you know a village without a medicine man won't be a village for long someone's got to fill it mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh and so you do this is this is all a part of humaning this has nothing to do with some special gifting you know earlier he uh talked about you know some people when they're uh come to christ they immediately go in the kitchen they immediately pick up a broom mm -hmm. great you know why because you were in a community where there's a commission uh, uh, a kitchen and there's an auditorium that needs to be clean and someone's got to do it and somebody's mm -hmm. going to rise up to do it that is not a special gifting it happens in schools it happens in neighborhoods it happens everywhere quit calling it a spiritual gift mm -hmm and just recognize it as humaning well. Yeah. Some people just love to cook. They just love to cook, right. You know? they, in fact, they, they joined the church because it's a community that does a lot of cooking, and they have a chance to, to cook for people. Yeah, they enjoy they, it. and But it's sanctified now, David, you see. You're not just a cook. You're a cook that's exercising his or her spiritual gift, you see. Okay. Everything's got to be sanctified. I'm going to reiterate my promise. I'm going to do better. I'm going to do better. Good luck. Well, everything I've said thus far, what you just said doesn't contradict any of it. Yeah. That's just one more way. Yeah. You recognize the need. Yeah. I remember thinking that I was going to, I never thought about being a missionary. Yeah. Um, I was very evangelistic, but I thought for sure I was going to stay in the United States. And I was invited to go down with an old uh, missionary in, in Peru just to visit for about a week and a half. And the moment I got there, I, I couldn't believe yeah. that there was such a need, yeah. and that need drove me. Mm. So, so it's it's not one thing; yeah. it's many, many things. Do you feel like the Lord often uses what burdens us to help us even figure out where we're gifted? I mean, like if that's something God has put on your heart, where you go, "Man, I can't sleep at night." Now, of course, that's subjective. Totally, but it is appropriate. Um, one of the ways I look at it is, is like this. Um, I, I knew a guy in seminary. He was very timid. Mm -hmm. and, but he, was, he studied Scripture. He consumed Scripture. He was so merciful. And he was always seeming to reach out to hurting believers. Mm -hmm. Me? I was studying Scripture, but I was running around with street people, preaching on the... Yeah. You know, and, and what I did in one sense, and we know this, if you're out there preaching on the streets or whatever, everyone thinks you're more spiritual. The fact of the matter is, I couldn't hold a candle to this other guy who was so timid it was difficult for him to witness yeah. with regard to spirituality. It was just our gifts. Yeah. It's just our gifts. And Damn, pause I was burdened. But I mean, it's going back to everything we've said. I just can't help but say it. But it's thank it's you so much because I was I was having to physically <laughs> yeah. hold my arm back. <laughs> <laughs> Don't touch that mouse. But it's it's the there's two examples you just gave. He was more uh, of, a, of a outgoing type person. The other guy was a very shy, timid person. He wasn't any better than him because he was out preaching on the streets. He couldn't hold a candle to him. It's just personality profiles. Some people are just more shy, and you know they're better in small groups. I don't know. Right. And so recognizing who you are and being comfortable with that is that's that's one thing. But then taking the extra step of saying, ah, the spirit gifted me with mm -hmm. that personality trait. That's where it gets ridiculous. Uh, yeah. This person is uh, meek and merciful that he's talking about. Great. I know a lot of secularists who are meek mm -hmm. and merciful. The, do, is that also a gift from the spirit? 
Or is it just a person who's meek and merciful? No, that's just who they are. To do that. He was burdened for something else. Yeah. It's the same way in prayer. You know, I'll pass thousands of people on the street sometimes when I'm in a major city. Yeah. But I can tell you there have been times as I'm walking through there, I will see a certain person and become so burdened for them that if they're walking away, I'll at least pray for them. And if, if I can catch them, I'll witness to them. Okay. There we go. You, <laughs> oh. couldn't, you couldn't hold back. <laughs> okay, I was going to say something. You, you're... Uh, all right. Here's, here's the more humanist kind of um, approach. Uh, one that I think would be a little bit more useful. Because, yes, we are empathetic social creatures. That's what we are. And we may see someone and recognize one or two signs that maybe we don't even realize we recognize. Yeah, that, you just pick that, up on stuff. Right. You pick up on the fact that this is a person who's in distress. Um, your first reaction should not be, I want to pray for them. Mm -hmm. you, you, have, you have used your perfectly human traits to recognize someone in distress. What you should do as a good human is just walk over and say, hey, it looked like you were in distress. Can I help you? Is there yeah. anything that, uh, that you need? Now, you might get shut down, but that's fine. You, that's, you that's, the, that's the human thing. It, but you see, he says, if I can reach him, I will go and not offer help to them. Yeah, evangelize them. I will go and witness to them. Yep. What? What, what if they're already a Christian? <laughs> what made you think that that's what they needed? <laughs> that's his worldview, though. That the the best thing he can offer you is salvation, not necessarily a physical answer to your problem. Right. So he was he was good, all the way up to the fact that okay, so he recognizes that that there's someone who seems to be in distress, and then everything he said after that was shit. <laughs> um, yes, humans sometimes uh through you know our very well-evolved nature we have uh non-obvious cues that people are in distress and because we are social creatures and empathetic we feel for them and i my advice is to act on that act on that don't send well wishes to the universe for them you you did no good you recognize someone that you think is in distress and you literally did nothing you're a bad person you're a bad human for for doing that mm -hmm. find out if in fact your instinct is correct and then if it is offer help now that doesn't mean that you're going to counsel them you're not a, you may not be a counselor but it could be that you've got a cell phone and it looks like maybe they've been robbed. They don't have anything. Uh, maybe they're, uh, you know, mentally unstable, any number of things. You can volunteer to call someone on their mm -hmm. back. There are things you can do, actually do. Yeah, physically do for them. Right. But, but just wishing them well in your head and or running them down and telling them about Jesus does literally nothing for them. Mm -hmm. But there's a whole but, school of thought. That's what they do. I mean, Rick Joyner's Morningstar Academy or whatever it is, that's what they teach people to do. 
I've got friends that went through his academy and they would set him loose in a city somewhere and they would give him no money and they would say, okay, you're going to survive all day long and you're just going to walk around praying and God's going to direct people to you that need to be saved or need to be healed. You know, so that that's a that's a thing for sure within certain strands of Christianity. So what he's describing is actually nothing new, really. No, but it's but it's sick all the same because mm -hmm. a woman who just escaped a rapist or her abusive husband does not need your story about how Jesus saved you and could save her. It, it, right, that's not what she's. Yeah. Oh my God! Uh, that that just—I don't want to say it triggered me, but it kind of triggered well, me. That is subjective, yeah. Yeah. but it's still a part of our Christianity. And Paul, last question, just in regards to spiritual gifting, and we've talked about this elsewhere. What's the importance of a church being full of people that are leading that have different giftings? Um, do you know how, for example? the pendulum swings mm -hmm. like here's one extreme yeah. and instead of coming to center mm -hmm. we will sometimes go over to the other extreme and hopefully yeah. as we mature we come back I'm kind of seeing that in Christianity mm. now especially among those who consider themselves sort of reformed or, or something like that and that is so much is being placed on the pulpit so much importance is being placed on the pulpit and rightfully so we would both agree yeah. with that but what's happening, though, is I think we're also losing the idea of Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, mm. of, of the entire body yeah. being equipped according to its gift and calling to minister. And so it's, it's absolutely essential. It's absolutely essential. Every person in the body of Christ has a place and a gift mm -hmm. to minister. I, I did this a few times. I'm gonna I'm gonna come back to mm. this at the very end, so that's why I'm keeping my powder dry here. In churches, and um, so I'm teaching on like Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, and so I'll, I'll ask a little boy, you know, nine or ten years old. I said, "Is there a little boy somewhere in the congregation?" A little boy raises his hand. I said, "Come forward." Of course, he's a little scared. Yeah. I said, "Come forward." He, he comes forward right in front of the pulpit. I yeah. said, now turn around and look at the congregation. So he turns around and looks at the congregation. I said, now I want you to do something that normally you would really get in trouble for. Yeah. What's that? I want you to run to the very back of the auditorium. I want you to turn around and run back. I'm going to see how fast you can do it. And he'll look at his mom Just like, am I going to get yeah. speed? <laughs> no. <laughs> and he'll take off running and come back. And he's yeah. so proud. I said, man, that was fast. Now, I want you to hold one leg behind you with your hand and do the same thing. And he comes back and it's like difficult. And he's standing there, I said, now hold that leg. And I go, now, I want you to grab the other leg with the other hand and do it. And you yeah. can see him looking like, if I do this, I'm gonna fall. I can't yeah. grab both legs. And then I look at the congregation and I say, listen, I took away two of his members. Mm -hmm. And not only could he not run as fast, he couldn't run at all. Okay, I just, just a quick pause. Just. You'd hate I've to be heard, that kid, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, I've, I've heard this about three times because I've, I've heard this part of the lecture. This is what passes for deep wisdom. Oh, he's got the gift of wisdom. Churches, right? This is this is the kind of story that really passes for yeah. deep really wisdom. And, and you've got this you've got this nice punchline 
I only took away two of his members and he was incapacitated. Mm -hmm. The church is the same way. We need everybody. We can't lose anybody. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, nice illustration, not that deep. Uh, and, and I would argue not that wise uh, because if, if the church were really that fragile that you've got a, a church of 70 people and two of them, you know, moved to Poughkeepsie, that somehow you're going to be, uh, you know, debilitated. <laughs> somehow, yeah. I, I think it's a, a false analogy. I understand the point he's trying to make, but this, this kind of, you know, folksy storytelling is, is what passes for high and deep wisdom in, in many circles. And it's, it's just not. And in fact, when I hear things like that, uh, it just, it's cringy to me. Well, but I'm going back to my example of what we tried to do at our church. You know, I, I was going through that same thing. What he talks about, it's specifically in the context of church leadership. So if you're going to be consistent with what Paul says, Paul says in Ephesians 4, that it shouldn't just be pastors in charge of the church. It should be apostles, pastors, teachers, evangelists, and what was the other one? There's five. It's the fivefold gifts, you know, um, and that's that's what I would argue for, that we need to identify the people with those gifts and raise them up to levels of leadership as well. So it's not just dominated, like he says, by these celebrity preachers, you know, and the church is lacking. If you want to be consistent with Paul's model in that sense, that it's, it's all about these celebrity preachers. Well, I appreciate you uh, listening more charitably than me because I was stuck <laughs> in the cringe. But yes, uh, this is true of any uh, community. Yeah. Uh, if if what you want is a, a well-oiled machine that functions uh, to the benefit of everyone for a long time, everyone can't be a quote-unquote official. Yeah, a leader. Right? Uh, because somehow, somewhere along the line, leader has become synonymous with the guy who's not holding them up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, working uh, in the kitchen. Know, and, and you're thinking, man, I've been, I've been working my fingers to the bone. When am I going to get promoted to a, a position where I don't have to do this? <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. uh, because the very reason you want the promotion is so that you can stop doing the shit job you're doing right now. <laughs> so so let's, let's be perfectly honest about that. And so if, you're, if your community is situated in such a way where too many people want to stop doing the shit job that they were assigned, mm -hmm. there's something wrong with your community. There's something wrong with the jobs that people have. So let's not say that there's something wrong with them. Nobody wants to do a shit job. Mm -hmm. And if your church is full of shit jobs that everybody wants to get out of, you need to reevaluate yeah, your what church you and your structure yeah. uh, and stop reevaluating them because you don't want to be uh, c cleaning the bathroom grout with a toothbrush for the rest of your life either. Mm -hmm. uh, and so uh, that said, the, the work that you do for communities, uh, you know, because we're all a part of communities, whether we, whether we think we are or not, needs to be meaningful and feel meaningful. It has to be both mm -hmm. of those things. Um, it needs to feel meaningful for the person doing it so that they're motivated to do it. It actually needs to be meaningful so that they can see that they are contributing 
uh, something to a society. When people have that, they don't want to leave that job. They want to do it better. People want to leave jobs that are not meaningful. Mm -hmm. They don't want to leave jobs that are meaningful. And so yeah. uh, just a, a little bit of secular wisdom mm -hmm. <laughs> inserted in there. Let's, we're almost there. I couldn't even move. I took away two of his members. And I think that in our right emphasis on expository preaching and the importance of the pulpit, we need to get back to the idea of there's a gifted congregation and they all need to be ministering according to uh, God's will. You've raised up, I guess, one more question that's fitting is how, how do pastors then encourage that type of mindset amongst the congregation to go, hey, we're all members of the body. I think, you know, of course, teaching on who a Christian is, yeah. number one. But there's another thing. Um, when I started in Peru, after a few years uh, with a church plant, um, the church really grew. And it was mainly a lot of uh, new believers. And there was an old, uh, well, he's old to me, he was probably in his 50s, yeah. uh, a minister, a Peruvian minister, and he, he said, I want to talk to you tomorrow about idolatry. Mm. And I said, okay. I didn't know what he meant. So he, he sat down with me and he says, you need to be careful of leading your people into idolatry. And I go, what do you mean? He goes, when someone comes to you with a problem, what do you do? I said, well, I open the word and I counsel them. Exactly, he said. Shouldn't they have gone to God? Should they always just first think about coming to you? And, and it really got me to think, and this is what he said. He goes, when someone comes to me, now if it's, he said, this does not apply if the counseling is critical. He said, but when someone comes to me and says, for example, they're struggling with marriage, the first thing I ask them is, in, in the weeks that you have Struggling. studied the word and prayed, what has God showed you in the word? And he goes, most of them say, well, I didn't, I, I didn't do that. Yeah. And he said, well, I want you to go back. Again, if it's not a crucial moment, I want you to go back for a week. I want you to study the word with regard to marriage. I want you to pray. And I want you to come back and show me what God showed you in his word. And he says, okay, then they'll say it. to me, well, I don't yeah. okay. <laughs> I know we're, we're nearly there, but wait a minute. The word says that wives should submit to their husband. So that's what the Bible told me. Her problem is she's not submitting. <laughs> that's what Paul taught, isn't it? That's clear in the Bible. I got nothing. Okay. I just had to put that in there. <laughs> That's what the Bible says. <laughs> Sorry. I couldn't let it go. It just had to be said. I'm sitting on some thoughts, and that wasn't one of them, and it caught me off guard. That's all. It's, just, it's so obviously true. Yeah. Why do you need counseling? Let me let me just say, um, you know, if you have if you have, excuse me, some some kind of problem, whether it's marriage or you know kids or finances or what, whatever it is, um, you should be able to seek help, all right, and you should be willing to seek help, and I I kind of fundamentally disagree with the advice he's, he's given here. Um, people don't come to seek help lightly. 
Mm-hmm. Um, nobody is eager to go to somebody else and say, my marriage is on the rocks. I need help. Nobody wants to do that. By the time someone does it, I guarantee you they, they need help. <laughs> uh, they probably should have done it, uh, you know, years ago, but it, it's gotten to the breaking point that gets them doing it now. And then when mm -hmm. you fob off, you know, whatever your responsibility to say, well, have you studied enough? Have you been to God with this another enough? God is the one that let this situation happen in the first place. Mm. Okay. Why the, why the heck? Uh, or, you know, have you, have you studied these passages enough? Maybe they did. Maybe they didn't. It doesn't matter They're They are at a breaking point right now. Mm -hmm. um, and I just want you to think about how terrible this advice would be if treated in a secular mm -hmm. manner. And, and you can see how it doesn't translate to the real world. Someone goes to a marriage counselor uh, and they, they unload their problems. And the marriage counselor says, well, have you studied L. Ron Hubbard? Have, <laughs> have you sought after Zenu? Yeah. Um, what would Zenu do? Would, right. I mean, have you, you know, before you come to me, maybe you need to go back. Yeah, saturate and, yourself. Right. You <laughs> saturate yourself. That's in what he said. Right. So that that's, what the fuck yeah, are you talking about the office wouldn't you? you you they came to you because you are a professional who is there to help them with precisely the problem they're coming to you with mm -hmm. you don't get a chance to say i need you to stop bothering me and go talk to my invisible friend first <laughs> yeah. that's that's utterly absurd yeah it's madness so that's that's kind of what i've was hearing there but of course you'd just jump out and say the way more practical thing yeah but on the face of it that's the thing his advice sounds so godly doesn't it mm. and this this wise peruvian pastor had pulled him aside and explained what he was doing wrong you know what's wrong with opening the bible and counseling them from the bible oh no you've got to put it on them you've got to say no they need to be saturating themselves with the bible they need to be praying well before they come talk to you about their marital problems you know so that's why Christian counseling can be so damaging that it's, it's hugely da damaging from that point of view, because th they're going to turn around and say, well, it's, it's, it's a sin problem. That's what's wrong with you or your wife. She's not submitting to your leadership or whatever. That's bullshit. I don't, I don't accept any of those kind of answers for my problems in right. my marriage. And if you're a church leader who believes in spiritual discernment as a gift, why the hell didn't you see that they had marriage problems a long time ago mm -hmm. and be proactive about going to them with the word to help them get that straightened out while the problem was small? Yeah, maybe they didn't have the gift of discernment, David. <laughs> Skepticsandseekers.squarespace.com. Log in your discuss account and discuss it. Will someone please tell me what the hell discernment <laughs> is? <laughs> so, Discerning minds need to know. And he says, then I pulled out a sheet with all the verses on it yeah. about marriage. And I know that seems like I'm, I'm making a long circle to answer your question. But the whole thing is, is we have got to get people going to the word, going to prayer, 
meeting with God. We've got to teach people how to be in the Word. We've got to, we've got to spend more time teaching them how to study the Word. We've got to teach them more time. Why do you have to teach them that? Because uh, they're not first, doing it. First Corinthians 12, we've been over this. If you are saying uh, that Jesus is Lord, then it is clearly the case that you are, uh, what was it? What was it? Uh, not yeah, imbibing the Spirit. You, you are yeah, um, imbued by the Spirit or whatever. You're, yeah. you're drowning in the Spirit. No, I got to get this. Uh, you are, <laughs> the influence. Yeah, you're under the influence <laughs> yeah. of the Spirit. If you are under the influence of the Spirit, I don't see how you end up with this problem in the first place, <laughs> frankly. Yeah, but so, I would say when I was a pastor and I've talked to many ex-pastors, I'm sure you did this too when you were preaching, your ministry and mine was most likely to encourage people to spend more time reading their Bibles and praying. That That's what I did 99% of my sermons and all that. Most applications were something uh, to the line of you need to spend more time reading your Bible. You need to spend more time in prayer. And that's exactly what he just said. We have to encourage people to read their Bibles more and pray more. That is the bottom line. That's what a pastor should be doing. Right. And I I say they're punting their responsibility. Because yeah. once again, you go to a marriage counselor uh, and they tell you, well, I'll tell you what, uh, rather than actually talking to you and helping you, I'm just going to suggest that you go home and read your Bible and pray. Mm-hmm. What are you talking about? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. How does so, that help? Uh, but yeah, these are these are people who are supposedly under the influence of the spirit. Um, I, I don't even see how these problems come to this. Uh, we got a couple of minutes to do with, it with 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 more earnestness regarding what they need to be doing in their own life, their yeah. relationship with God, their relationship to the church. They need to see that you do not come to church just to sing and receive a message, mm-hmm. but that it's a body. Yeah. And we all have a part in it. And I think it's just teaching. It's just teaching. For example, when I'm at Grace Community, I don't, I've never really heard them make a, a, a just a big deal all the time about gifts. But when I go to Grace Community, I see so many people from all walks of life with all kinds of different gifts Serving, doing all kinds yeah. of things. It's because the Word of God is preached. Yeah. You see? Yeah, that's so helpful. I, I want to... Yeah, I want to be able to use my gifting in a way that honors God. And I think a lot of people do, but I think even figuring it out fundamentally, and sometimes I think to your point, they overthink even what that means right. because they've missed studying and they've they've missed right. pursuing the revealed will yeah. of God, which is going to translate to just practical and, and elements of service. It, it applies to other things. Like I have two sons that are thinking about their careers, yeah. you know, and I, my, I always begin with, what do you want to do? Yeah. I mean, what do you desire to do? And sometimes people think, well, that's just too easy. Well, it's it's not the whole answer, but it is part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Harry, my friend says, what do you delight to do? That's a blessing to the body. Right. He says, someone loves to sing, but it's hard for people to listen to. It might not be a gift. You might <laughs> yeah, enjoy it. That would be it. me. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but what do you love to do? That's a blessing to the body of Christ. Well, Paul, thank you so much for your time. It's oh, it's so my helpful. privilege. All right. So we made it. We, it's the longest 14 minutes <laughs> <laughs> of your life ever. <laughs> so Yeah, but you look. know what? I was thinking about this. We're going back to this thing about marriage counseling. Mm-hmm. I counseled a couple when I was the pastor of our church. They had major marital problems. He'd had an affair. 
years and years before they were they are all they did was argue and fight all the time she was constantly throwing that back in his face blah 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 they came to me for marriage counseling and all he did was harp on the fact that according to ephesians 5 she was supposed to submit to him and that's what the bible said so every time you know she all she did was throw his his affair in his face and it just went round and round and round i mean what was i supposed to say as a christian counselor as their pastor that's what the Bible said, but you know, where so using his own example does not work. It didn't work at all. Yeah, I uh, I didn't do much counseling. Oh, you're uh, lucky. It wasn't it wasn't wasn't my bag really. I was a I was a theology guy. You know, I was a Bible guy. Yeah. Uh, I I answered Bible questions. I knew uh, the Bible. I knew the theology very well, and that's 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 a certain kind of person who's need it in certain kinds of churches and that was me but i, I you know i had couples come to me sometimes mm -hmm. uh and uh my approach was a little bit more practical <laughs> in, in that you know i tell them look my marriage isn't isn't perfect either i mean <laughs> you're gonna doesn't doesn't take you much to see that I'm not great at marriage. Um, you, you guys have been married longer than me. Uh, you're, you know, you're going through a thing. I get it. Uh, you should maybe see a counselor. Yeah, I'm not a professional counselor. I didn't go to school to to be a marriage yeah. counselor. There's this, there's kind of this assumption that if you preach, that you somehow have all of the secular abilities mm -hmm. that every community needs you're the preacher you're the doctor you're the you're the guidance counselor you're the you're you know you're the everything uh man and i just wasn't having any of that i it was uh no <laughs> no i'm i'm your i'm i'm your theological guide i can help you there uh but if you you know if you got a splinter go to the doctor if you got a marriage uh, problem go to a marriage counselor mm -hmm. bye <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know, I will pray for you. I can give you some names of some people that I trust, but why the hell are you looking at me when you got financial problems? I haven't paid my mortgage in three months. What are you, yeah. why are you coming to me? <laughs> so. But even then as a Bible guy, you'd have to direct, if you were being consistent, you'd have to direct them to passages like Ephesians five, where oh, yeah. you'd say, well, in, in Paul's paradigm of what makes a perfect godly marriage, the husband is the head of the household, the head of the family. The wife submits to his authority as unto the Lord, joyfully submits that. And the children obey their parents as unto the Lord. That is what a functioning godly household and a successful marriage should look like. According yeah. to the Bible, that's what it says. So what more and, can you say? That and, is and what I, the And text I have says. said that sort of thing. Yeah, but so did I. Always with the flavor of, but you need to go see uh, mm -hmm. somebody. Who, yeah, who specializes you were fortunate in that. there. Yeah, I because I never had uh, this illusion that I was, you know, the everything guy. Mm -hmm. You know, the things that I was good at. You know, I I yeah, mostly you stayed, you stayed in, my in your lane, lane. On that stuff. Um, yeah, yeah. And I I think that you know people who are aspiring to be preachers need to recognize that uh, mm -hmm. a a preacher is not a papa. You're not a father. You're not a pastor uh, leading sheep. Uh, you're not the everything guy. Uh, you're a some things guy mm -hmm. or gal, but you're not the everything person. And you should not assume that you have specialties, professional specialties, 
that you don't have just because you're a person of God. Yeah, just because you might know some Bible and theology. That's the problem, though, is that, you know, when I was a pastor, you get put up on a pedestal. You can't help it. You, no matter how tr how much you try to be a real person, like you said, I've got problems, I've got issues, you know, just like you. I'm not perfect, but yet people insist on putting you up on a pedestal, and suddenly you become that expert that is super spiritual. You've got a hotline to God, and it's like, why do you do that? Why do you put me on a pedestal and insist on making me something I'm not? I'm not that guy, but I, I'm I'm stuck up here regardless. So let me, uh, I'm just going to make a very brief closing statement, and I will give you a chance to have the last word. Um, and my closing comments go toward what the uh, younger gentleman said at the end of this and a reiteration of verse 7 uh, in this look at spiritual gifts, because I actually think this is the, the best piece of all of this. And this is where positive secularity and positive skepticism, uh, you know, kind of meet for me. To each of us, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Full stop. Mm. Uh, I don't care if you call it a gift or a manifestation of some spirit or a talent or a natural inclination does not matter to me. You, you can use whatever language you know you need to to get yourself up in the morning. Um, but I think the idea here is extremely pro-social. Uh, I think it is extremely uh, cultural and evolutional and secular and amazing. It's given whatever this thing is you have for the common good. Now, I can buy into that. Now, I don't believe that mm. you were given anything, like I said. I don't think there's yeah. someone gifting you things. Um, but you are here, and you were a certain kind of animal. You were a social creature. And even me, I am a hermit. <laughs> <laughs> by by nature, if you just left me with as much money as I wanted to do whatever I wanted to do, I would close myself up in a nice room and not come out, <laughs> except to get the pizza at the door. <laughs> I don't I don't want to deal with people. I'm not a I'm not a people person. I have never been a people person. Um, I can only take people I like in small doses. So uh, that is just me. That is just a part of my mental illness, I guess, that, uh, that I've learned to live with. And um, that's, that's who I am. Uh, but even someone like me, I recognize that I am still a social creature. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't exist in a vacuum. You know, I don't make my own clothes. Someone has to make that. <laughs> and then someone has to sell it at a price that I can afford. And someone has to drive me to the store so I can get it. Um, just to get dressed in the morning, it takes an entire community of people uh, mm. doing their job. To get your meal, whatever you had this morning, you likely didn't go out and butcher it. <laughs> you didn't kill yeah. it. <laughs> you didn't right? raise it and the, kill it and dress it. And... All kinds of things that you didn't do 
to make it through your day. So you, you in fact, are a social creature. And to think mm-hmm. otherwise is kind of like being the Unabomber with Nikes. <laughs> you know, that's, that's ridiculous. It's absurd. You are, you are not the singular being that you think you are. And so, because you were a social creature, and you are in a society of social creatures, and you are in a community, you rely on a community, even if you live out in the woods, you got to come into town and get your grain. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so we, because of that, it is within our best interests, all of our best interests, to raise that community up to a higher standard, to make sure that everybody in that community is thriving to the highest degree, and to have you contribute to that community in whatever way you can, because you are drawing from that community, whether you acknowledge it or not. And so first acknowledge your place in society and in the world and in all the things that so many people do to make your life as good as it is and then give back and then read this passage in whatever secular language or or religious language floats your boat to each of us the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good may we all do more for the common good. Mm. Clint. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll throw some money in the hat if you pass it around. Yeah, I was thinking, you know, going through all this stuff, it's hugely ironic that my journey as a pastor the last three years, we were trying, as I've, I've been saying throughout this, this podcast, we were trying to institute what I felt was Paul's teaching on spiritual gifts and the leadership of the church and how things should be run as a team and all the rest of it. We spent years going through spiritual gifts and helping people learn their gifts and, you know, working and toward that goal, raising up preaching teams instead of me just doing all the sermons every week. And I was trying to live out consistently with what I believe the Bible taught. And ironically, not only did it lead to a division and, you know, backstabbing and things like that, the church ended up being closed down and it was in large part because it finally got to the point where someone came up to me and said, look, why can't we just go back to the way it was, you know, three, four years ago when we just had a head pastor who preached all the sermons and told us what to do. And even though they (laughs) complained about that. uh, So in a weird way, I actually tried to be consistent with Paul's theology and it led to the church being closed down, you know? So it's a strange one that we were trying to be consistent with this worldview and yet Christians that I was pastoring over did not like it, didn't want to do it because it meant they were being pushed out of their comfort zone uh, to a place where they were like, no, that means I'm going to be having to do things that I don't want to do. I want you to do it. That's what we pay you to do, you know? And I was in sense kind of work, trying to work myself out of a job and they didn't want that. They wanted me just to tell them what to do and tell, you know, preach and teach the Bible for them. And I'm like, no, that that's not what I'm reading the Bible. That's not what I'm reading. Paul, uh, we're trying to do that. And they didn't like it. It was heading to an ugly church split and it was going to get really nasty. And we finally just decided, you know what? We just need to close this church down. So that was, that was my end of, you know, full-time pastoral ministry was closing a church down in large part based on all this stuff that this guy has been saying. So I would have been in complete agreement with pretty much everything Paul Washer said when I was a pastor, it was the same kind of stuff I was spouting, but ironically we're coming from completely different points of view now. 
I really appreciate you uh, being here and spending this last couple of hours uh, for me. Uh, I will say uh, in terms of programming, for those of you who only listen to this show, uh, you know it on YouTube, uh, perhaps, and not as a podcast. Uh, first of all, welcome. Uh, those of you who are new to the channel and subscribe, thank you so much. I see it. I get notifications for it all the time, and uh, I do try to uh, interact when you comment. Uh, I do a daily, or a near daily, a close enough to daily daily <laughs> that you might not know about because that's not on YouTube. Excuse me, it's just in the podcast. You can find uh, Skeptics and Seekers. I think it's what it's called in the podcast feed. Uh, some podcast feeds, if they're not updated, are 4S, the number 4 and the letter S, in uh, other podcast feeds, Skeptics and Seekers Sunday uh, Sermon. Uh, find that podcast and subscribe and you will get all of the dailies most every day at some portion of the day. And if you um, just interact uh, on the website, skepticsandseekers.squarespace.com, just refresh that page once a day. Uh, and there's a good chance that there's another short that's been added to it. The shorts are intended to last between three and five minutes. And so naturally they go about 15 to 20 minutes because, <laughs> because it's me. <laughs> You just can't uh, help it. Cannot help it. Cannot <laughs> help it. Um, I did one that was three minutes and something. I think that was my first one, and it's been downhill ever since. <laughs> so... A true preacher at heart, David. You're always over time. <laughs> what can I say? Uh, so, Clint, uh, with that, uh, what's going on with you, and where can people find you? Okay, so I host the Mind Shift podcast. You can find that iTunes, Podbean, uh, Spotify, you know, anywhere you find your podcast. Just look up Mind Shift, Dr. Clint Haycock. And then you can also find me on, well, X, which used to be Twitter at Mind Shift 2018. There's also a Mind Shift podcast Facebook page. You can send me an email through that and communicate with me there. And obviously, you can support the show on Patreon if you want to do that. You can join our closed Mind Shift podcast Facebook group if you're a Patreon supporter. So we have a really good community in there. And I'm also working on a book that I've actually sent a copy to David. I'm hoping at some point when it does come out, we will do a podcast episode on the book because we have a lot in common being Church of Christ uh, members. We were both baptized multiple times, and that's kind of what it's about. So that's coming down hopefully in the next month or two. All right. Uh, so lots of exciting things uh, on the horizon. I do have a, a, a show planned for next week. Uh, I think think that I'll be doing some traveling uh, near the end of this week, and so things are going to get a, a, a little bit up in the air. So the show uh, may not land until Sunday or Monday uh, next week, but I do have a show planned, and uh, we'll try to get that out there. There may I may miss some dailies <laughs> this week. Just going to put so that out there. After, after announcing the dailies, uh, I think this week might be a little bit light uh, on dailies. That's a real possibility. Uh, until next time, uh, and Clint, I hope that you uh, are on board for the next couple of sermons in this series. Uh, oh, yeah. There really, there really are some, the spiritual gift stuff is just cranking up. This is an introduction. Until next time, I'm out. Stop cloud recording. Yeah. Okay. Thanks.